Welcome to the Doctrine Matters Podcast, where we seek to equip the church to understand and live out its faith. I'm your host, Stephen Dew. I'm the preaching pastor at South Caraway Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Arkansas. We want to thank you for joining us today, and let's get right to today's episode. guys still there nobody checked out maybe turned it off maybe some of you are listening maybe some of you want me to leave it play in I don't know today we're going to talk about on the podcast something that's very important in our churches and very important for us as Christians and believers and we are talking about today what are you singing in your churches and I will tell you this it matters it matters greatly what we are singing. Now, many of you probably have heard that song on the great and mighty K-Love, or maybe you sing that song in your churches that is called What a Beautiful Name by Hillsong United. Now, I want to tell you right now, I'm just going to lay my cards on the table. That's probably a song that we should not be singing in our churches. As a matter of fact, that is a song that we do not sing in our churches. And I will go one step further with this on this episode and say, we do not sing any Hillsong United songs at all. We do not sing any Bethel songs at all. And we do not sing any Elevation Worship songs at all because those three places seem to put out the most popular Christian music, so to speak, if you will. Christian music. I'll put that in uh, parentheses, air quotes. Uh, you can't see those, but I have them in air quotes. And, uh, we don't do that at our church, and today's episode is going to be talking about why you should not sing them at your church either, because we talked about on our last episode, uh, actually we talked about uh, fearing God, but before that, the episode before, we talked about driving to a biblical church and driving 45 minutes if you have to do so, and we kind of, uh, we talked about how sad it is that we have to qualify what a biblical church is uh, and say biblical instead of just a church, but that's how... That's who we are in the world now, is we have to qualify what a biblical church is. Either way, we talked about what the biblical church looks like, so today we're going to be talking about what a biblical church should sound like when it talks about worshiping through music. So I've laid my cards out on the table this episode. Our church does not sing Hillsong United, Elevation Worship, or Bethel music. Uh, even though they are some of the most popular songs that are being put out, even though sometimes they may have some songs that are that sound right. So why why not sing the ones that at least sound theologically and doctrinally right? I, why can't we do those? That's a great question, and I want to get into those, and I'm going to get into them quickly today because I don't want to keep all your time here on the podcast talking about it. Uh, but I think it's very important that we do talk about it because it's something that is plaguing our churches all across America. Now, the very beginning of this song, which is, I believe, the second verse, is, or at least the very beginning of the podcast, you heard this song playing, and it said this, 
you didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you sent heaven down or something like that. There's problems with that when we think about who God is, when we think about the scriptures, is God does not need us in heaven. And it wasn't because he had to have us in heaven that he sent Jesus down. It wasn't because he needed us in heaven. It's not like we are some uh, uh, royal, just have to have us type people or he just can't get along with himself. You know, he's got to have somebody there with him and it had to be us. Now, listen, God doesn't need us. He wants us. He loves us. He cares for us. But listen, none of this is for for our glory, right? Because that's what that seems to promote is like, you are good enough for God. You are just worthy enough for God to send Jesus, his son, down to heaven to just get you. Look how good and awesome you are. He couldn't live without you. Yes, he can. He has existed for an eternity. He has lived with us or without us for a long time. And if you are saved by grace through faith, praise God that he has chosen you before the foundations of the earth to be saved. And then his blood that was shed covers a multitude of sins, and you have been forgiven, redeemed, you belong to the church, and you will one day stand glorified, perfected in Christ when you die, or if Jesus comes back, whichever one's happened first. But praise God that he saved you. But he didn't save you because he had to have you. Because that just promotes all the glory for us. If we can look up and say, well, God had to have me in heaven. He didn't even want to live in heaven. He didn't even want to stay there without me. So he had to send somebody down to get me. Praise God. Hallelujah. I'm so excited that my God loves me. You see how that can be such man-centered theology when we begin to really start to break some of these songs down? Now, that is probably the only line I have trouble with in that song. And I, I just can't sing that with uh, integrity. I can't sing that uh, just uh, out of sheer bad, bad lyrics. I just can't sing it because I believe it's unbiblical because God doesn't need us. He didn't, he didn't have to have us. He doesn't have to have us in heaven. And we just don't have to be his knight in shining armor, so to speak. That's just not what. We are it's such man-centered and, and, and driven for us to be exalted, and that is not who we are. The Bible says that there are none that are good, no, not one. As a matter of fact, just let me read you a couple of scriptures from Romans chapter 3 that tells us exactly who we are. And The Bible says this in Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 10. It says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is who we are, folks. We are not good. We are bad. We are sinful. We are wicked. We are evil. Now, don't hear me say that we are as wicked and vile as we can be, but we are evil. We are wicked. We are sinful. 
people that do not seek God, we do not care anything about God, and we are not righteous at all. So why would we think that the God of all creation in heaven would want somebody like that, that just couldn't live without somebody like that? How could a perfect and holy God need a jacked up, messed up people to, to, to live with and just couldn't stand to be without us? The fact of the matter is, God has set his sights on people that will be saved, people that have been saved. He has chosen them before the foundations of the world, the Bible says. He calls them. He redeems them. He saves them for his glory. All of this is for his glory. And when we stand perfected in Christ on that day, it is not going to be because of anything that we have done on our own. It's going to be all because of God's glory and the work of Christ on the cross and the blood that he shed for those that he would save. Now, God could live in eternity forever, forever, forever. He could live in eternity for all of eternity, infinity and beyond, right? If we want to get Buzz Lightyear into the equation, he can live and sustain without us. He does not need us. So I think I've kind of hit that. There's my beef with that song. Now, why not sing some of the songs that are theologically correct or seem to be theologically correct? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because if you take a look at some of these songs, you might find that they are indeed uh, several of them that you could sing and they would seem to be right out of the Bible. So why not sing those songs? And I'll tell you why we don't sing those songs. Is because if you were to go back and look at the websites of these places, look at YouTube videos of these places, specifically Elevation Church and uh, um, Bethel Church and then Hillsong Church. These are popular churches. They are have many, many members. There are many people that come, many people that are filling these seats every single Sunday. Multiple services. People are flocking to these churches. But here's the problem is all three of these churches have proved to be outside of orthodoxy, right? That's just being outside of biblical parameters is what that means, that they have kind of shifted outside of the Bible and what the Bible says, what the Bible means. We've talked about the Bible before. It's God's word. It's active. It's living. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. But these churches has, or should I say, these establishments have proven to be outside of orthodoxy. Now, they have become uh, word of faith, and word of faith is simply kind of name it and claim it, speak it into existence. If you just uh, believe hard enough, if you give your money, if you don't have any sin, then God will bless you. He will give you prosperity. He will give you health and wealth. Uh, they say things like, your breakthrough is coming. You just have to stay faithful. You just need to wait on it in the midst of this storm. They say that if you're suffering, then that is not a, a mark of a true Christian. And listen, the Bible is clear in Timothy that if anyone desires to live a godly life in Christ, they will suffer. So the Word of Faith movement will tell you that your suffering is a lack of faith in Christ. And I'm here to tell you biblically that that is false, that is outside of biblical parameters, and that is uh, not a thing that a church, a true church, should say. 
And we see things like kundalini worship. We see things like grave soaking at Bethel Church where they're going to the graves of old dead people that have been long gone and they're soaking out some of their wisdom through the tombstones. And this is just heretical stuff that they're doing in the name of Christ. Bethel Church has gold dust coming out of their ceilings and they say that it's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit like this the Holy Spirit right here you can see it he's present with us and 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 here he is right here in all of his glory and majesty that is heresy we will not see the Holy Spirit we have an indwelling of the Holy Spirit we are sealed with the Holy Spirit at the time of regeneration and faith we are sealed with the Holy Spirit but we don't see the Holy Spirit and we can't just send pixie dust through our uh, air vents and say, look, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, and then you have um, elevation worship. As a matter of fact, Stephen Furtick, there's a clip going around of him this week that uh, basically he's a modalist, just like T.D. Jakes, and <clears throat> excuse me, he believes that Jesus will manifest himself in different ways instead of being three distinct persons in one God. He believes there's one God that will just manifest and transfigure and and do uh, and put on a different hat, so to speak, for different occasions. And that is not biblically correct. The Bible is clear, although the word Trinity is not in the Bible, that God is three in one, three distinct persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all with different functions, different things, but they are one God. That is a very tough situation or or some situation uh if you're in a situation where you're trying to have to explain the trinity it is tough but the trinity is tough to explain it's tough to wrap our minds around but we can clearly see in the scriptures three distinct roles and three distinct persons of the godhead at work in the lives of of believers we see it at work in creation we see the trinity at work we don't see god manifesting himself in three different forms so They're teaching heresy outside of orthodoxy from the pulpit, and their orthopraxy is just as bad as their non-orthodoxy. Now, I know those words are crazy, but the way they practice these things, right, they're uh, pragmatic, they're they're program-driven, they are cool-driven, they're light-driven, they're uh, cool factor, just, man, look at us, we're big, we're doing something innovative, Look at all the stuff we're doing, man, and I'm telling you that is not the mark of a biblical church, especially when they're spewing word of faith, heresy from the pulpit. They're doing kundalini worship. They are soaking graves. Listen, there is a clip going around. You can watch this whole thing on YouTube. Google some of this stuff. YouTube it. There is a a, a clip going around where Bethel Church service, there's this young man that... The, the lady on the stage says that he's being um, filled with the Holy Spirit or whatever she's saying, but she's saying that's the Holy Spirit working in this guy. And listen, this is more like a demonic thing happening on the stage. He's screaming almost like he's being burned. He is gyrating. He's rolling around. This, this, this young man seems like he's in pain, and they're just looking at him. And finally, they have to call security down to try to come take him out and remove him because he's become a distraction, but they're saying that's a, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in his life. And really, it looks like a, a manifestation of a demon in his life. Just go on and, and YouTube some of these things. Uh, I would say this. Let me back that up just a bit. I would say if you are firm in your faith... If you are a, a believer 
that knows the Bible and understands the Bible and you are not a new believer, you can YouTube some of these things. And I, I, know, I, I want you to test the spirits. I want you to test me too. But it, I don't want you to be carried away by some of this, uh, these things that they're doing in, in, in the name of Christ and think they're right and legit. And then you jump in and kind of follow those teachings because that is one of the dangerous things about singing their music in a worship gathering is because if you don't have disciplined believers that understand what's happening at these places, then they may go research these songs themselves. They may find it on YouTube, and then they get caught up in some of the teaching that they're teaching. And, and listen, Stephen Furtick, if you get caught up in his teaching, man, the guy is a gifted teacher. He's a gifted uh, speaker, so uh, let me say that. He's a gifted speaker, and it's easy to uh, listen to him and, and just kind of see the little cool factor that he has and uh, kind of the, the energy that he has, and it's going to be enticing. But isn't that what the enemy does? He entices us with sin. So some of these things can be extremely enticing for us to jump in and look at and listen to and watch, but we have to understand that we cannot give in to this temptation of even watching and listening to pastors that are unbiblical, because doing that is just as much a sin as anything else is when you fall into uh, theology that is wrong or outside of the Bible. So that is a main reason why we don't sing their songs in our worship gatherings. Number one, there are way too many biblically, doctrinally sound songs that have so much theology that is accurate according to the scriptures to be delving off into uh, the latest Elevation worship song just because they're cool and the song sounds cool. There are so many great, rich hymns that we can be singing. There are so many... Uh, great songs from from people like Sovereign Grace Music and City of Light, and there's so many different things out there that we can be singing that honors God and exalts Christ, and uh, essentially we're singing the Bible. It's important that everything that we sing can be matched up to the Bible, but listen to this too. Everything that we sing, the people that are singing it, their theology in the pulpit uh, what they teach in their classes, what they're teaching online, it must match what they're singing. Because listen, we're not going to stand up and sing about the holiness of God and then talk about how sovereign and holy and providential he is and then go sing about that and then go teach how awesome we are and how good we are and how uh, God can't have heaven and live in heaven without us. We're not going to teach those things. So if we expect our teachers and our elders, every time they teach or preach, if we expect them to uphold biblical doctrine, sound biblical doctrine, and promote a high view of God, then we're going to sing about that. Now, we can't sing about a high view of God and then teach a high view of man from the pulpit or in the classes. That just won't work. So we can't promote songs that may be God-centered while the people that are writing these songs, attend churches that teach a high view of man and, and e e almost an equal level with God, or sometimes even a man that is greater than God, but a God that can't live without man or a God that's just waiting on you to give more, to have more faith, to name it and claim it, to get what you want. We can't sing those songs from those establishments that are teaching false Doctrine. That is why the podcast here is named Doctrine Matters, because doctrine does matter. Doctrine is not an old antiquated word. Theology is not an antiquated word. These are things that we must consider in our churches. We must be singing theology. 
We must be singing this high view of God and, and who God is biblically. We must be um, singing all sorts of song that promotes rich biblical doctrine. Because if we can't sing it, then we can't teach it. And if we can't teach it, we can't sing it. So we better be singing what we teach and teaching what we sing, not vice versa. So I hope that made sense. It was kind of fast and rolled off the tongue. But uh, I think you get the drift. We got to talk the talk and walk the walk when it comes to what we sing in our congregations. Now, there, there may be some pushback and say, well, let's sing the ones that are doctrinally, doctrinally accurate and, and just we'll say that God redeems the culture. That's something I've heard before, but unfortunately, many much of our culture is already in sin. Much of our culture is already saturated with these things. Our culture needs the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they don't need it just from the pulpit or just in Sunday school. They need to be singing the gospel. They need to be singing deep truths of God. There is so much that they need, our culture needs, our people need in our congregations. Our people will starve to death if we give them the theology and the doctrine that Elevation, Bethel, and Hillsong are promoting from their pulpits. You can live a better life. You can take seven steps to have a better you. You can give more. You can have more faith. You can name it and claim it all you want to, but you are not growing in holiness when you do those things. And holiness is ultimately what the life of a believer should be about. It's to give God glory and pursue holiness and become more like Christ in the process. So we cannot promote false teaching by the songs they're singing, even if some of them happen to be biblical. I've heard this before, a, bloke, a, bloken, a broken clock is right twice a day, but that clock is still broken. You can send out a doctrinally rich song from Bethel Church, but Bethel Church is still broken. Bethel Church still needs the gospel. Bethel Church still needs Jesus. Bethel Church needs to change what they're teaching, what they're doing, and so do Elevation Worship and Hillsong Church, all of these places, these establishments, and it's not just these three. These are just some of the main three. You have to be really careful with what you bring into the church just because you hear it on K-Love. Because you hear it on K-Love doesn't mean it's good for the church. I can think of some other people that are not good to be singing in church specifically because their views on different things. Let me just say this, Lauren Daigle. She doesn't sing corporate worship songs that you can sing to. That's another thing. We should be singing songs that the congregation can sing together. We shouldn't be up on stages and platforms singing rock concert songs that only you can sing the notes to when it comes. We need to be singing doctrinally rich songs and uh, have the congregation as a whole be able to sing them. However, Lauren Daigle sings uh, concert-type songs, but people do bring them into the church. But listen, she believes that homosexuality is not necessarily a sin and they should be able to get married. So why would you promote something from your platform in your church from an artist who says that she believes homosexuals should get married when the Bible clearly calls it a sin? This is out there. This is why you must research the people that you are singing in church, the churches that these songs are coming from. You must research them. Here's another example. I love the group Shane and Shane. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm going to sing everything that they put out because they don't hold the same convictions as our church does and our elders at our church because they do sing songs uh, that have been coming out of Bethel and uh, out of Hillsong. Not a whole lot, but they do. 
Now, Shane and Shane, I know, happens to come from a solid biblical church. So we will sing a Shane and Shane song that is doctrinally rich, but we will not sing anything that they cover. So what I'm saying is just because Shane and Shane does it doesn't make it okay to do in your churches. They may have different convictions. You may have different convictions. I simply disagree with the conviction that Shane and Shane apparently has, and uh, that's okay. We can agree to disagree. Still love those guys. Never met them. I still listen to their music, and uh, we just won't sing some of those songs that they cover in churches. Now, most of the songs, if not all of the songs they've written themselves, absolutely will pl- play them because they're doctrinally rich, and I know their pastor is preaching biblical truth week in and week out at their church. They have a solid biblical church. So I say that to say this, that just because your favorite band that you know is solid, and even Shane and Shane's theology is solid, their doctrine is solid, we just have a different view on what we should sing, but just because your favorite group may cover this song doesn't mean it's okay for you to cover this song either. Now, like I said, you may challenge me, you may disagree with me, and that's okay, that's why we have different convictions. That's why we have the Holy Spirit to guide us and uh, the Word of God to guide us, you know. So it's okay for us not to agree. But when I read passages of Scripture like this from Colossians 3, verse 16, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, the first part of verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So from everything that we do, from beginning to end, in our worship gathering, we want it to be all about Christ. We want it to be all about giving God glory. We want it to be all about the word of God. So that's why our church has moved from um, just kind of Whatever you want to do, just let it kind of roll out and let it happen to a a, a a liturgy. Now, every church has a liturgy. It's just a, a an order of things, an order of the service, so to speak. But many churches, and what we were doing, too, is we were opening up with 10-minute announcements, a 15-minute welcome, and handshake time. And I'm exaggerating on the numbers a little bit. And then 16 songs. And then finally we'd get to the preaching and then we'd have another song and go home. So we are intentional about our worship gatherings. It's all about Christ from A to Z. We have a liturgy that is specific in a call to worship where we simply read a biblical passage, a, a passage out of the Bible. We'll move to a prayer of adoration where we just give God adoration. We adore him. We worship him. We exalt him. We sing two songs biblically rich songs with truth, full of truth, and then we're moving into a prayer of confession and assurance that we have corporately as a body, we've all sinned, and we need forgiveness, and we're confessing our sin to God, but we're also saying to those that are saved, those that are believers, we have the assurance of salvation. Then we'll sing another song, and then we'll do a catechism, which is just simply a question and answer to learn biblical doctrine. And for instance, Our first catechism was, what is man's primary purpose? 
And man's primary purpose is to give God glory and enjoy him forever. So we'll ask that question, and as a congregation, we'll repeat it together, the answer. And then we'll go from that to a prayer of illumination, that the Lord would just open our hearts and the word would uh, be a lamp into our path. And we just pray that God's word would be illuminated. Then we move into our offering, which is a time of worship, even then. And then we'll sing one more song, and then we'll get up and we'll have a pastoral prayer and then we'll preach the sermon, and then we'll have a reflection song, and then we'll have a benediction, which is, again, the last thing people hear is the Word of God. So from beginning to end in our church, and we can talk about liturgy and different prayers uh, as we go through this podcast, but from beginning to end in our church, it's all about Christ, and everything that we say and everything that we do is going to be centered around Christ. It's going to be centered around His Word, and we're going to be able to let the Word of Christ dwell among us richly from beginning to end by everything that we do from the songs that we sing to the prayers that we pray to the scriptures that we read it's all about Christ and we're careful not to let any false institutions songs into our worship gatherings so that means that our elders are listening to songs that's the very first thing we have to do we're listening to songs we're reading lyrics to songs because we want to make sure the songs that are presented to us by our musical facilitator um, is a, is kind of what he said he wanted to be called. But our our, our music pastor, our music guy, he uh, presents the songs to the elders every week. He's an elder himself. And we'll read the lyrics. We'll listen to the songs. We'll see if there's anything that's questionable in the, in the lyrics. And then we will say, we will look and see who these are from who kind of wrote the songs, and then we'll kind of look at their theology. We'll see what they're teaching. We'll see what they believe. And if they believe something that's outside of what our statement of faith would say, if we believe that their church teaches heresy, then we just won't sing that song, even if it's biblical. So there are times where we've turned songs down. We've cut songs out of the rotation, and we've added more biblical songs to our list. So it takes some work, and, so, and some folks out there may say, well, that's a little harsh, that's a little too much, that you're actually looking line by line, word by word at what you're going to be singing. No, it's not. Not when it comes to being biblical and standing on the true word of God. We want our people singing not just uh, 17 choruses over and over and over and over and over. We want people to sing the truth of the word of God, and we want them to sing it from people that have uh, done the research and believe and care about the things of God as well. So we sing songs from institutions and artists that 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 would line up with our statement of faith. Not everything in it, of course, but the majority of our statement of faith would line up with their theology and doctrine. And that's okay to do because we're not trying to win over people emotionally. We're not trying to be a seeker-sensitive church where we just want to cater to the culture so that they feel comfortable to come back. The culture that if that is unbe- in unbelief, an unbeliever should walk in and not feel comfortable in our churches. Y'all, this is going to get me started on a whole other thing. That's maybe that's what we'll do next time. Is talking about seeker sensitive and catering to the culture. The church is too long now, in my lifetime, has catered to the culture. It's done what the culture needs. The culture has dictated the direction of the church. And what we need are churches and men of God to stand up and not let the culture dictate the church, 
but let the church drive and dictate the culture. The church should be pushing the culture. The church should be out in the culture and proclaiming the name of God, proclaiming the name of Christ and Christ crucified. We should be taking back what culture has stolen. And we have got watered-down sermons, weak theology in our songs, programs running out of our doors and windows at our churches. There's programs for everything, and yet the Bible is being stripped. We are surface-level, shallow preaching, shallow singing, and we're putting on lights, camera, action to make sure the culture feels comfortable coming to our worship gatherings. Believers should feel a sense of comfort in worship gatherings because they're there to be fed the word of God from beginning to end, and they're there to give God glory through it all. But an unbeliever that comes in should not feel okay with the way the church does things. An unbeliever should probably think it's boring, to be honest with you. An unbeliever should probably think a liturgy is boring, although every church has a liturgy no matter what kind of church you are. But those things should not sound appealing to an unbeliever. We're going we're gonna to do a prayer of confession and assurance now. That sounds kind of high churchy, but it really isn't. It's biblical, right? We see that we must confess our sins. We have the assurance of salvation. So unbelievers coming in should not feel at home. Unbelievers should be comfortable, uncomfortable. They should hear the gospel, and be, we just pray that God would open their hearts and convict them of sin and, and change them and save them. But we don't cater to unbelievers because the church is a body of baptized believers in Christ. We went over this a couple weeks ago. But we should not dictate or let the culture dictate us. The church should dictate the culture. We need men to step up to take charge over what the Bible says, to get real with what the Bible says, stop singing watered-down songs. Listen, your people in your churches, they're smart. They get it. They do a lot of awesome, smart things during the week, and then they come here just mind-numbing, chorus after chorus after chorus, music playing in our churches. And it plays on their emotions it it draws on that. It it is just guys and listen. We need to stop catering to emotions. We need to stop trying to manipulate emotions, and we just need to be faithful in preaching and proclaiming the gospel. We need to be faithful in singing the gospel. We need to be faithful in singing the truths of God's word, preaching the truths of God's word, teaching the truths of God's word, discipling brothers and sisters through God's word, and stop trying to be the next Hillsong United. Stop trying to be the next Bethel Worship. Stop trying to be the next Stephen Furtick. We need to be men and women that God has called out and saved out of darkness into marvelous light, and we need to start living the way the Bible has called us to live. We need to start taking the Bible seriously. That is the problem in America is people don't take the Bible seriously anymore. They look over it. They don't hardly read it. They don't hardly have it in the pulpits anymore. They leave them in their back dash still. We need another awakening in this world, in this, especially in our country. We need to be singing doctrinal truth from the Word of God, from sources that believe that we need to be singing truth from God's Word. 
even if that's difficult. And what I mean by difficult is you can sing some of these worship songs. There are four chords over and over and over. You sing the chorus 12 times. You sing the bridge 13 times. You sing the chorus over and over and over again. We we got, our people are much smarter than that. Have you ever tried to sing A Mighty Fortress Is Our God? Uh, that is a little more in-depth when it comes to singing. But what you're singing is amazing compared to the same old, same old stuff that we hear on the radio. The same old stuff that we hear. We're not giving our people credit to come in and be able to sing, even though it may be a little bit more technical than they're used to. We're not giving them enough credit. They, they can sing it. We just need to teach it to them. People can learn anything if they're just taught it. So I want to encourage you guys, take a look at what you're singing. If you're in a, in a church and you're singing Bethel and Hillsong, go to them and, 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 and this podcast may not be, I know it's not anywhere near what some of the other guys have done regarding this subject. Let them listen to this. Let them listen to some other people that have done uh, great research on these places. Let them understand the true biblical aspect of what worship is. And it's not just singing. There's a whole nother aspect of what worship is. And we'll, we'll talk about that as well as we move forward. But call on your leaders. Sit down with them. Challenge them. Ask them why they sing these songs. Ask them if they've looked into the, the, the things that they're teaching and preaching at the churches that sing these things. It's okay to be able to approach your leaders. You should be able to approach your leaders. And if you are a leader listening... I challenge you to look at what you're singing, change it if need be, all for the glory of God. It matters. Doctrine matters, and it matters even when we're singing it. So I hope this has been a blessing to you. I hope that you uh, have got something from this. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. If you would drop me an email, doctrinematterspodcast at gmail.com. Respond in the Facebook link if you see it there. Uh, tell me what you think about this. Uh, are, is it okay to sing it, in your opinion? Is it okay to keep singing songs from these heretical places? And if so, why? And uh, tell me if you agree that we shouldn't. And uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, Doctrine Matters Podcast at gmail.com, or you can uh, respond on Facebook, Doctrine Matters Podcast, or on Twitter. I think it's at Matters Doctrine, I think is how they have it, but I think you can search Doctrine Matters Podcast and you should be able to find it there on Twitter as well. Uh, we're even on Instagram, so just drop us a line, drop us a message, see, uh, tell us what you think about it and when it comes to singing certain songs and worships and gatherings. So with that being said, uh, thank you for listening. If you've made it to now minute 38, almost 39, I appreciate that. You're a blessing. Uh, just thank you for hanging in there with us and uh, look forward to talking again. We'll see you next time. God bless.